From finance and commerce, this is Beyond the Skyline, a podcast about economic development, commercial real estate, and construction in Minnesota. Above all, it's a show about what's next, creativity, and the innovation and technology that are changing how we work and shaping the future of business throughout our state. In each episode, you will meet business leaders, builders, entrepreneurs, and big thinkers who may challenge the status quo, but also make their dreams a reality. I'm Joel Shetler, your host and editor of Finance and Commerce, Minnesota's oldest business newspaper and online publication. Thanks so much for joining me. As managing principal of Leo A. Daly's Minneapolis office, Cindy McCleary has seen the impact of a bonding bill and what it means for the industry and the state as a whole. Leo A. Daly's project portfolio includes the Fort Snelling Visitor Center, the Second Harvest Heartland Headquarters, and the Hennepin County Medical Examiner's facility. All were paid for with help from previous state bonding bills. Besides playing a role in those impactful projects, McCleary has provided legislative support to groups seeking state money for their construction projects. McCleary has 20 years of experience in design, planning, and management. She joined Leo A. Daly in 2011 as market sector leader for the public and institutional sector and was promoted to managing principal a year ago. In the following interview, McCleary speaks with reporter Brian Johnson about the legislature's failure to approve a $1.8 billion bill, the state of the building industry during the pandemic, and other topics. Uh, maybe, if you don't mind, maybe we can just dive right in. So if you're all set. Okay, that sounds good. So I'll, I'll start maybe by just giving a, just a little bit of background about who I am and the firm I represent, that kind of thing. And then, um, and then I'll, I'll address kind of the two pieces, the bonding bill and the COVID. Um, but my, my name you have already, I'm the managing principal of Leo A. Daly Architecture and Engineering Firm, which is an architecture engineering firm here in Minneapolis. Um, we've actually been in Minneapolis for 103 years. So there, there's a long history of having had this firm here. Um, but I have uh, taken over this position's managing principal about a year ago, specifically with the vision to strengthen and deepen our local and community ties. About 50% of the work that we do is right here in Minneapolis or in Minnesota or within our Midwest region. And then the other 50% of the work we do is out of state. Um, and that's both because we've got certain expertise in our architects and engineers that, that, um, that travels really well. Um, but also the, the reality that um, this is a um, market that um, if a business wanted to grow, we had to look for um, uh, opportunities outside of the state of Minnesota in order to kind of balance our boat from a business standpoint, uh, just to make sure that we didn't have all of our eggs in the basket. Um, and that's, that's kind of what goes hand in hand with the, with the bonding bill piece. But, um, yeah. but I'll share a little bit more about the firm. So there are 80 people in this office. It's an 800 person firm across multiple offices across the country. Um, and our focus here, like I said, is really in our community work. So it's um, state, county, city, higher education, school districts, things of that sort. And so we've assisted a lot of those clients in the bonding process in past years. Um, clients that have really significant needs and are coming at a project from a regional standpoint. So they have regional service or their training um, across the region, something of that sort, um, it's got a bigger impact than their own individual 
locale and that's why it ends up going through a state bonding process to to secure the money to, to build the project design and build the project um so what uh, yeah just to 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 I guess expand on the bonding thing a little bit. Um, as, as you know, we've, we've had a couple of shots at getting a bonding bill passed this year, three times actually in the regular session and two special sessions now. And um, just just this week, you know, the, another $1.8 billion proposal um, failed to get the uh, the required supermajority. Yeah. What, uh, what, what is your take on that from, from the perspective of someone in the building industry, um, but also just from, from the, the needs in general uh, that you're seeing across the state, um, how, um, how, how big of a deal is that and how important is it <laughs> projects going? Good, good question. It's, it's huge. I mean, the, the bonding bill is needed now in a COVID world uh, more than ever before. Um, capital bonding, the state of Minnesota does capital bonding every even year. So 2016, 2018, 2020. Um, and up until about 2016, they have been very consistent in every other year on that even year putting out a bonding bill. And that bonding bill would range anywhere from about 600 million up to the largest in 2008, which was about a billion. But, but often would hover in that six to 800,000 every two years. Um, there was this exception to that in 2016, where a bonding bill, again, didn't um, proceed. Um, and so the impact to that, to the architectural community, is large. There's no doubt about it. Architects and engineers are the first to see the money that come out of that uh, bill as we start to design the projects for our communities. Um, according to deed standards, or according to deed demographics, um, there are about 160,000 professional technical jobs in the state of Minnesota. So it's 160,000 people in architecture, engineering, real estate, law, finance, etc. that have some touch uh, of the money that comes out of that bonding bill. On the back end of that though, once that money comes through, there's another 117,000 construction workers in the state of Minnesota. So that's 160,000 families plus 117,000 families that are impacted when a bonding bill doesn't come down the line, right? So it's, that's a quarter of a million of the residents have some touch directly um, in, in the development and the progressing of that work. Um, the this, this sort of significance to not having one um, means that that, you know, that that money doesn't enter the economy, uh, which means it doesn't spur jobs. And quite frankly, now is when we do need job growth, pretty significant job growth. And in past years, when we have missed bonding bills, um, it has been an impact on uh, our direct labor talent pool directly. And so when that work is not there, if you're a skilled laborer in masonry or brick or what have you, you need to find where the work is. And if it's not in the state of Minnesota, it's outside the state of Minnesota. So um, uh, that, that, that loss of talent, if you will, takes years for us to kind of build back up. Um, and so anytime we, we kind of miss that two-year cycle of a bonding bill, there's an impact on those quarter million families, but, but, but also um, for the next two years, waiting for the next bonding bill influx to come in. I think the other, the other piece about that bonding bill um, that's important is in, in many instances, that's seed money. So um, for the state departments, University of Minnesota, um, Min State, uh, the bonding bill will fund some of their projects in full. 
uh, University of Minnesota, it'll fund some of their projects in part. So they've got other philanthropic donations that are waiting for that seed money. And so it's not just the loss of that bond dollar, it's, it's the loss of that seed that's bringing other private philanthropic dollars into it. And that's really common in any of the local government aid. So um, that, that results from this. So within the bonding bill, there are projects that get earmarked for state departments and state agencies. One of those is DEED. DEED then grants money to local government units, basically cities, um, for critical infrastructure. It may be things like a water treatment plant, it may be parks, um, it may be road uh, construction, uh, it may be buildings, it may be a variety of different things. But those local government agencies are also putting uh, oftentimes 50 cents on the dollar. So that bonding dollar that they don't get, there's another influx on the backside that comes from that local government agency that they're further sort of enhancing. And so without that initial seed money, you don't get that second sort of enhancement that comes on top that allows projects to happen. Um, additionally, I think there's uh, an impact that I think is often not thought about. It's easy to say, you know, that um, the bond dollar only goes towards to buildings or to the U of M or to transportation. Um, but you don't sort of recognize that there are a variety of jobs that, that benefit from that. For sake of example, if a bonding bill doesn't go forward and the jobs that we talked about are impacted, we're also not then pulling granite from uh, St. Paul Grant or from uh, St. Cloud Granite, right? And there's jobs on the manufacturing side. We're pulling Casota Stone from Mankato. Um, uh, that, you know, there, there's a, a loss to those more rural and outstate communities that are relying upon the jobs that the architects and the engineers and the contractors then are buying their products to sort of influx. So there are folks like Neil Kaspari at uh, the Federal Reserve that can get really into the weeds of sort of the economics on this. Um, but I think it's really important to recognize that that seed money plants the seed for a lot of different things. The initial sort of quarter million dollar jobs that are directly tied to it um, but also those residual manufacturing jobs and the additional funds that come in to kind of support that. So this is, um, uh, it's disappointing to have seen uh, this occur, um, uh, you know, with a, a single session and then two special sessions to not have this go through to consensus or at least a supermajority. Um, we are the only state that has a divided government. And so I think there are a lot of times when people say, well, we've got a divided government, our, our house is Democrat, uh, our Senate is Republican, you know, we're very excited when things pass through majority, and we certainly are. But I think this is a time where we actually need that divided government to come together uh, faster, um, more quickly, and without the politics uh, that get in the way of really spurring the economics and spurring the community. I think the financial impact of a bonding bill is, is really significant. It, um, it, it really does have a ripple effect throughout the economy, like you said, and it, and it's uh, kind of puzzling because it sounds like it, at one point there was some agreement on both sides of the aisle on the bonding bill itself, but some other political stuff got in the way and uh, I, you know, with the executive orders and, and so forth. But uh, do you see um, anything changing? I know they're talking about maybe revisiting this in August. Um, What's going to change, if anything? That's a, that's a good question. I mean, I, I um, am optimistic. I'm an optimistic person by heart. So 
uh, I'm, I'm optimistic that a couple things will change. Um, one, the, the police reform conversation has advanced significantly. And I think both sides see that as a win. And that is a win. I think the community in the state sees that as a win. Um, and, and to be honest, when you have uh, two or three really heavy pressing issues, like we did this year, we had COVID, we had police reform, and then it was a capital bond year. Um, uh, you know, proceeding in all three of those is a pretty weighty issue. There's, there's no doubt about that. Um, so I think having completed um, the first step in some police reform is one piece that's out of the way. It allows them to focus back then on, on COVID-related issues and the bonding bill. Um, I, I would project, though, that, that this is the year because of COVID, the bonding bill's needed more. You know, just in terms of the number of unemployment uh, claims that we already have, the anticipation of what might happen if a bonding bill doesn't come down the line for those quarter million families that might have some impact uh, from not seeing that uh, work move forward. But then I think, you, you know, more specifically, um, you know, we're investing in our own community um, on, on, on things that are really important. So for sake of example, a couple of our projects that we just completed this year that came through bonding money in the last couple of years, Second Harvest Heartland's new uh, warehouse and volunteer center. I mean, that project was only enabled by a significant and progressive support by the legislature to fund that project. And it was, it came at a time, uh, frankly, two years ago where we didn't see COVID coming, um, but we did see, you know, a shortage of food and food insecurity. Um, and so it came at a good time, but quite frankly, it allowed them to not only consolidate their two buildings into one building, to expand, to be able to bring in refrigerators and refrigerated um, components so they could provide more fresh food instead of you know, just the, the dried goods. So they're providing a more holistic food source. Um, and, and then it literally it opened within the last few months of this year when we were impacted by COVID and, and, and their business has transformed significantly as a result of it. Those are the kinds of projects that are in the bonding bill. So that's one. We're also working with Fort Snelling and the Minnesota Historical Society on the preservation of buildings at Fort Snelling and the transformation of those buildings at Fort Snelling. Um, so these are, you know, assets that go back to our early history prior to us being a state even that have sat there boarded up and, and dilapidated and not fully utilized. And so past bonding dollars has, has been able to sort of um, put some energy back into those and, and that project is now under design and construction. Um, and then the third one that we literally just opened this year that came from bonding dollars two years ago is a regional police training center. And, and quite frankly, you know, two, two years ago, it was serendipitous to recognize or to, or to have the foresight to see that we'd be having a conversation in this bonding bill about police training and police training reform and what that might be. And it was because of that bonding bill investment two years ago that a regional training center was built called the Hero Center, H-E-R-O in Cottage Grove and is now up and functioning, ready to be able to respond. So you look at just those three projects that came from the last bonding bill, all serendipitously in significant uh, role in today's kind of COVID world. And then you look at the three that, or a handful of them that we have in the bonding bill right now uh, that didn't pass. Uh, one of them is for Anoka Ramsey Community College and it's for their nursing program. And so we've had a nursing shortage. We know we have a nursing shortage. There's a need to be able to get more trained people out there. And without a bonding bill, 
that nursing training program doesn't go forward or that nursing training building doesn't go forward. In a, in a COVID world, right, we need to make sure that we've got trained uh, healthcare nurse uh, practitioners out there. That project is needed now more than ever. Um, another project that's in the bonding bill right now, there are uh, seven projects of the Department of Public Safety that are going to police departments that are specifically targeted to providing space that allows them to do training. And it's, it's, um, it's the kind of training that they're talking about. It's the de-escalation training, it's mental health training. I mean, these are particular spaces that allow police officers to uh, learn in high tense situations, mock, uh, you know, high tension situations, but do so kind of out of the everyday stream of, of business life where they can really focus and get the most value out of their training. So not seeing a bonding bill go forward this year, it, it's those kinds of projects that are that are in limbo, right, that we don't want to find ourselves two years down the road saying, gosh, I wish we invested in the nurses and the police, right? Um, so I think, you know, there's uh, there's there's that sort of piece to it uh, as well. I think is important for us to recognize. Yeah, and I think those are all great projects. And another project that I believe you're working on is the Hennepin County Medical Examiner's Facility. If I'm not mistaken, that got some deep bonding money as well. And um, another very you did, important project. You did your research. That's right. That one did get their bonding money. That one also is in construction now. Um, and th th those folks, quite frankly, have been um, uh, working overtime, as you could imagine, um, just to try to, um, with empathy, um, deal with a, a large onslaught of, uh, of autopsies and of, of cold storage need and, and finding places to be able to um, address a really rapidly changing condition. Um, and so you're right, that, that's another one that serendipitously two years ago um, is right in the middle of being, you know, one of our heroes in the COVID world. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it, just talking about the COVID world and everything that's happening right now, um, what's your assessment of the state of the construction industry, the, the design industry? I know we, fortunately, um, building is, course been classified as an essential business so it's good that projects are still moving along you're also seeing some reports out there I know the recent architecture billings index that have come out uh, the one that just came out this week shows another another decline and in, in terms of being um, sort of under underwater um, yep. in terms of architecture billings activity um, what are you seeing locally and in your own practice in terms of uh, kind of the state of the uh, economy right now for architects that that's a good question and again you've done your homework really <laughs> really impressive architectural buildings are down um it's fragile it's a very fragile industry right now um uh we leeway daily i think we we've been in a position i think in part because of our longevity um but in part because we made some sound business decisions to make sure that we served clients across industries and quite frankly across the nation um we had enough eggs in our basket if you will that we could rise with the ebbs and flows of the market a little bit better than some firms either smaller or more specialized um uh, and so we've been very fortunate to to have been able to kind of tighten up if you will but really keep our our team intact and that's and that's really important 
um, in terms of protecting our team and our families on the back end as, as we come out of this. Um, but there are a lot of firms that, that frankly just weren't in a, in a similar position for whatever reason. Um, a handful of them in town that had significant workload that were in casinos and hotels and hospitality. Um, and, and that stopped from like Monday to Tuesday. And you don't just go around and, and find a different kind of work all of a sudden. I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a mindset, there's a skill set, uh, there's relationships that need to get developed. And so unfortunately, those kinds of significant impacts have really hit some architectural firms um, uh, deeply and, and construction firms deeply as well. Uh, retail is another sector. Um, frankly, healthcare is another sector. Um, uh, private local healthcare has been hit pretty hard. Um, and, and primarily because they're seeing a huge onslaught of expenses related to COVID. They're laying off, they're advancing staff in certain areas. Um, uh, but in order to adjust to that, they're furloughing some of their capital projects people and some of their projects kind of kicking them down the road, if you will, to deal with the, the issue at hand as, as, as they should. Um, but, but firms that had a significant local healthcare work are, are really struggling and have had uh, layoffs as a result of it. So I think our, our strategy has been and always, always will be to have a strong foothold in our local community. I mean, we're, we're building a community for ourselves, for, for our neighbors, for our children. You know, we'll, we will forever have that. Um, but we also recognize the volatility that is in our political system and our capital bond system. Um, because we in Minnesota don't have significantly other ways of funding capital projects. So other states do. Other states cash bonds and they sit on them for two and three years and then they release them slowly over time. Other states use what's called a P3 process, which allows private financing to public projects. Uh, that, that's not allowed in the state of Minnesota uh, in, unless it's a transportation project. And so when we have no other funding sources but the legislature, and we do have a split legislature in that volatile sort of community, we have to keep those strong deep ties here locally because that's important. But we also need to, from a business standpoint, pr protect our teams here by making sure that we've got enough exposure across other industries out of state and, and across the nation so that we can ride the wave, if you will, of what happens here in Minnesota. Um, so, you know, fortunately we've, we've taken that business position, but, but, um, but we've had to tighten our belt pretty significantly as well. Yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of belt tightening going on around here and hopefully uh, things will get uh, better before too long. Um, see what happens in August with the potential uh, taking another stab at the bonding bill. But um, it sounds like you're doing some traveling. I understand you're in uh, the great state of North Dakota right now. What brings you there? Good, a good question. A client actually does. So we, uh, we just met with the city of Bismarck um, talking about their space needs for their public health department, uh, their police department and their public works facility. Um, and so, you know, this is one where uh, Bismarck's capital bond process is a little bit off course of Minnesota's. And so that's one of the ways that we can still continue to serve those that serve others. And that's kind of our mantra at um, Leo Daily Minneapolis, serve those that serve others. Um, I think when we kind of adopted that mindset, um, it changed the way that we interacted with our clients. It changed, uh, it expressed our value system. 
Um, and so in this instance, we're serving those that serve others in our neighboring state, um, in, in public health, police, and public works, and infrastructure, and frankly, that's where they uh, need most to be. Um, a, a few weeks back, we were, uh, I was in Oklahoma City County, working with Oklahoma City County Public Health, um, uh, talking about a facility expansion and a, a potential um, enhancement to labs and a drive-through testing. Um, we don't necessarily see this pandemic as being a short-lived condition. This is something we're going to live with for quite some time and, and improving the way um, they do public health pandemic testing uh, in really hot climates and in really cold climates um, is where we're spending a lot of our attention at the moment. Um, and then we're also working with a number of uh, cities here within uh, Minnesota in particular, utilizing some of the CARES Act funding but really looking at their facilities and determining what, if anything, they need to do from an operating standpoint and from a physical building standpoint in order to get their staff back in there and the community back in there safely. Um, and so uh, there's a few cities that we're working with to identify COVID-specific improvements to their building and their operations to allow them to, to you know, work um, in what's going to be, honestly, probably a longer COVID situation than we first thought. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. That's a great, uh, great uh, point there. We'll have to talk about that or some other time down the road, perhaps. But um, my my cat right here is perhaps uh, not <laughs> time to uh, wrap it up pretty soon. But do you have any any other thoughts before I let you go? And um, you know, just kind of on the state of the industry or what we're all dealing with now. Um. You know. Well, let's see. State of the industry. Um. You know, I'd say um, the the architecture industry, architecture engineering industry. You know, we're we're trained to unpack a problem uh, in order to lay out the pieces, in order to be creative about thinking about a new solution. And so, quite frankly, I think we've been uh, as an industry very adaptable to what was a really significant fast change. Um, most of us already worked digitally from a distance. You know, when we work with state uh, states around the country. Digital was not an issue for us, uh, and so we were able to pick up very, very quickly, not necessarily focusing on changing our business practices, because thankfully those were already there, but pick up really quickly and talk about what does it mean for a client. Um, and so just a, a few couple examples to that, you know, we've got a food warehouse, uh, a series of food warehouse clients um, who, quite frankly, are essential. They need to get their people in there, right, for, for manufacturing, and they didn't have the time to close down, send people home and work from home because it wasn't a possibility. So really quickly out the gate, our architects and engineers uh, designed a creative solution for what they call a port of entry, which is a, a standalone put in front of an entry door to a building that allows social distancing, temperature checking, uh, full HVAC air change, et cetera, so they can make sure that the staff that they are bringing into their facility are healthy and prepared and able um, uh, to, to participate productively. Um, and so we were able to make that transition as an industry. Um, but I think what we're, what we're seeing long-term is those initial studies, um, uh, as quickly as we can address them, they're, they're little initial studies. And I think the thing that feeds an industry is the long-term kind of two-year projects and having a series of those overlay each other that gives us the ability to do these really quick changes and, and evaluations when they ha happen. Um, 
but a business industry made up of really quick studies with not a lot of backlog backlog on the back end um, uh, does lend itself for a more challenging fall and winter. There's there's no doubt about that. I think that is on the minds of of uh, every architectural engineering firm leader in town. What does the fall and winter look like for us? Um, and again, we go back to the bonding bill. That seed money is important, um, not not only to to feed those projects, but to uh, instill some consumer confidence. Yeah. Um, and I think it's it's with that that we'll see some change. Yeah. Well, we'll see what happens. And and uh, thanks again so much for joining me and taking time out in your uh, travels here. And um, <laughs> Best, best wishes to you and, and all your colleagues uh, on, on your projects and uh, going forward. Um, so, we'll, uh, thank you, we'll Brian. About, I'm sure in the coming uh, weeks and months. Thank you for listening, and please subscribe to Beyond the Skyline. We can be found wherever you listen to your podcasts. To learn more about finance and commerce or to subscribe, go to our website, www.finance-commerce.com. I'm Joel Shetler, Editor of Finance and Commerce. Thank you again for listening to Beyond the Skyline.